Hello and welcome into the Mavs Draft Podcast. My name is Jared Katz alongside Mavs Draft himself, Richard Stamen. How are we doing today, Richard? Doing pretty good. Uh, dude, I'm not going to lie. I've uh, had literally no life ever since uh, last week when I discovered that apparently the Synergy subscription I've been paying for comes with uh, games on demand. I have no clue. It's been uh, a waste of money for quite a while, so it's nice to know I've finally a year later getting some use out of it <laughs> there you go there you go hopefully you're finding some some useful footage that you hadn't come across yet maybe some games of some smaller schools do they have uh, international games as well no so i i have flow hoops too for mostly for that purpose uh for the international games but they have dude they have everything i mean they have d3 games from 2007 like it's it's the weirdest thing if you know a guy who's ever played internationally i mean you might be able to find his game so <laughs> it's That's pretty cool everything. they have college lacrosse like i mean dude you name it they've got it they got full g league games too for anybody who wants it like it's dude, it's crazy which that'll actually really come in handy um assuming there's a g league season this next year because we got a couple huge prospects uh that we can talk about you know for next season that are going to the g league uh, i know Jalen green's the big name isaiah todd's another but so that's a, a resource that'll come in handy because unless it's local, those games typically aren't televised. Yep. Um, no, I for, I mean, you know, I love the obscure stuff. I've already, I've, I've watched a few obscure games already. It's, it's bad. It, it's peak quarantine. <laughs> there you go. No better time for it, uh, for the discovery than now. So, uh, but speaking of international prospects, um, we're going to touch on, yeah, we talked about LaMelo Ball, and he's technically an international prospect because he didn't play college, but he's been very well known for a long time. And I'm considering this prospect really the first true international prospect that we're going to be talking about. And that is, of course, Killian Hayes. Uh, Killian Hayes is the uh, point guard. Uh, he's, he's French, but I believe he played in the German League this past season. Uh, 6'5", 192, don't have a wingspan, but very long arms. Uh, this past season, the stats I have on him, and I'm not sure exactly how perfect these are, so forgive me, but you know, hopefully this will be a good ballpark. Uh, in 10 games, he averaged about 27 minutes, uh, shot 10, uh, 10 shots from the field per game, hitting at a 45% clip, took four threes a game and made them at a 39% clip, shot just over two free throws a game, which he made at a 91% clip, uh, averaged just under 13 points, two and a half rebounds, 6.2 assists, and a steal and a half per game. Uh, and just for, uh, for some more numbers last year, uh, he shot 82% from the line as well. And uh, he only shot 19% uh, from three in 2019, but that was only on uh, two attempts per game. And obviously, as, as he kind of came into his own, uh, he took on a much l larger role uh, for his team. So, Richard, what's kind of the background on Killian Hayes? Yeah, so Killian Hayes is actually, uh, he was born in America. He's born in Florida. Uh, Grew up in France, though, because his dad, uh, who played college basketball in the States, uh, moved to France for a professional career. And a little bit backstory on his dad. He's actually the ninth leading scorer in Penn State basketball history. 
Uh, so, I mean, in case you're not too familiar with Penn State basketball, they're not that storied of a program. You know, they're not not exactly uh, the biggest powerhouse in the Big Ten. And, uh, yeah, he's still one of the bet- more, more uh, excuse me, well-known Penn State basketball players ever. So he comes from, obviously, a basketball family. Um, and with him, you know, he wanted to play in America. He wanted to come to college, uh, you know, play D1, which he obviously very easily could have done. But his parents really pushed him to stay, and he went to Germany to play uh, here or where he is now. And the rest is kind of history. Now he's, you know, potentially top pick under some circumstances. Yeah, for sure. So where do you have him ranked on your updated big board? So I actually moved uh, Cole Anthony down one. I swapped him and Killian Hayes. So Killian Hayes is now number four for me. Interesting. So I actually rearranged my board a bit today as well. Um, and I have Hayes. I I don't know what to do with him and Cole Anthony. They're like neck and neck. because They're so different. Um, but I, I have Hayes at eight right now. Um, and we'll kind of get into why, you know, there's a discrepancy there between our two rankings. But one thing I just want to touch on real quick is, you know, I just mentioned between him and Cole Anthony, how they're polar opposites. And at that point, it's kind of personal preference. So, you know, that's the one thing that we as, you know, just home scouts, so to speak, uh, you know, we don't have like a certain scheme or certain needs or whatever that we're trying to fill. We're just looking at these guys as quote unquote basketball players. But of course the team, that wants a pass first point guard is going to prefer Killian Hayes to Cole Anthony and a team that's looking for an alpha dog score is going to prefer Cole Anthony. So it's all preference. Um, but I'm interested to kind of see if we have similar evaluations on him because this is one of the bigger, uh, separations in rank that we've seen so far. Yeah. And it's pretty crazy that four spots is our biggest separation so far. <laughs> well, we've mostly been dealing with top, 10 players at this point. So, you know, at at a certain point, like everyone kind of agrees on, you know, the top eight to 12 guys in some order. Right. So, yeah, yeah, that's true. So what do you think about Killian Hayes athletically? Because I don't see a particularly explosive player, but I see a guy that's super fluid. Um, which isn't always the case with six, five guards. Yeah. He doesn't jump off the charts really. Uh, and either way, you know, he doesn't stand out positively and he doesn't really seem like he's a negative athlete. Uh, you know, I don't see him as a, um, you know, poor athlete. I wouldn't give him a bad grade, but I mean, I'd float him right around average is probably what I would say. He doesn't move yeah. bad. Well, yeah, not, not a real bouncy guy, but again, you know, kind of fluid hips, you know, decent lateral mobility. Yeah, he's average. That's what I put in my notes. He's an average athlete. But what I really love about him is his length and how he uses his length, um, really on both sides of the ball. So, you know, we talked about, you know, just a second ago, how if you prefer a pass first point guard, Hayes is your guy. So why don't we start off with his passing? Yeah, so he's really, really good at finding teammates. Uh, I think for, I mean, I think he's 18, correct? Yeah. Yeah, for an 18-year-old, someone like him really should not be able to see the floor as well as he does. Uh, I mean, he just knows where his teammates are and where they always will be. 
which is pretty remarkable for yet again someone his age. I mean, it's it's advanced. His passing, I'd say, is advanced. He's really good at the pick and roll. Uh, and also, I mean, he creates space for them by creating space for himself, if that makes sense. His dribble moves aren't just isolation moves. They're moves that draw in the defense and make them collapse. Yeah, for sure. He, he definitely plays with the mindset to get his teammates involved, uh, which is fantastic. It's something you, you really don't see a whole lot from, you know, kind of the, the modern day high school or, you know, freshman lead point guard. Um, something to note with Hayes is he, he's left handed. Um, and I think it's pretty obvious that he's left handed. Uh, you don't really see him making the same level of live ball passes with his right as he does with his left. But holy crap, he can make some ridiculous passes with his left hand. Just, I mean, looping passes in around defenders and in, in the pick and roll to the roll man. Um, he'll sling it one handed cross court to the weak side corner. Um, just really, really impressive uh, passes and, and it's all anticipatory too. It's he's not reacting to what the defense is doing. He knows where, I mean, you, you talked about, he knows where all his teammates are. He knows where the other team is too. And he knows, you know, how to manipulate defenders with his eyes. Some, some we talked about a lot with, uh, with Lamelo. you know, that same kind of feel as a passer to, you know, just naturally manipulate the defender know where the defender's going to be, how they're going to rotate, and being able to take advantage of that to find an open man. Yeah, no, and, and all of that is so true. And then and that doesn't even factor in, like, that he runs a smooth pick and roll. And uh, like you said, I mean, imagine him when he gets a right hand, you know? Like, he's very left-handed dominant in every capacity of the game. Yeah, and that's something we're going to touch on in a little bit here. I do want to come back to the pick and roll, though. So, I... I would like to see him figure out a way to score a bit more out of the pick and roll, but, you know, just how important is it for, you know, a high draft pick coming in day one, having the feel he has, you know, with the ability to kind of keep the defender on his hip, create a little bit of space for the role, man, it's these really subtle nuances. So how important is that for, for a point guard like that? Yeah, no, I mean, dude, it's super important. Um, he has the positive habits. Like, I think that's something where, you know, his dad wanted him to play in Europe, like I'd said. And um, I think that's one of the traits that he really got a benefit of learning over in Europe rather than playing in the States. There's a lot of, you know, focusing on me and not necessarily. I feel like that stuff just doesn't get taught how to exploit the pick and roll as easily, uh, like in a professional level. And uh, like, but also because, you know, defenses are different, but he completely... I mean, he manipulates defenses, like you said, and he knows how to keep his man on his hip. We've seen plenty of Mavs do that forever, where they can just trap the defender, and Hayes already has that down. Like, that's a day one trait that, I mean, his value, like, while he's raw to an aspect, like or to a degree, excuse me, like, he can still play from day one. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, you kind of talked about it with his, he's very left-hand dominant. So let's get into the ball handling real quick. Um, the the biggest negative I have on him is he, I don't know if he can't go right or he just doesn't want to go right, but one way or the other, he doesn't go right. He would rather take one dribble with that right, cross back to his left, or even worse, I've seen him pick up his dribble in those situations. Yeah. Um, that's something he's he has to get better at, and that 
really is the thing that's keeping him probably out of the top five players for me. And I know that doesn't sound like a huge deal. You know, it's like, oh, he's 18. Surely he'll get a right hand at some point. But, you know, he's been playing professionally for, what, three years at this point, And he still hasn't yep. developed a right. Like, that's concerning to me. Yeah. No, you're not wrong. And, um, I mean, I, I, I wanted to say you're right. But, you know, uh, given this, <laughs> <laughs> but I uh, no, I, I completely agree. He's a guy who he's going to be held back on his ceiling by his right hand. Like if he, the def, we'll get to the defense, like, uh, but a little bit of preview. I mean, it's not pretty, but that's not going to be what holds him back from reaching his ceiling. Like it's something that we know is already kind of capped, but his right hand is going to limit his offensive upside just in so many ways. Like we talk about how skilled he is and everything like that. That doesn't happen, you know, with one hand in the NBA. Like I don't, I really can't think of any one handed dominant players that have played in the NBA. Can you? No one immediate. I'm sure there are, but no one immediately yeah. comes to mind. But I mean, right away, you can just imagine, you know, NBA teams literally inviting him to go to the right, daring him to go to the right until he yep. can prove that he can do it. Um, and I mean, if I was a coach, I would tell whoever I put on him defensively, force him right, like exaggerate it, make him go that way, because everything we've seen of him, he's just going to try and cross back to the left and you jump it or he picks up his dribble and you pressure him and force him into a bad decision. So, you know, I think it's an important thing to talk about with him because it, it's going to matter. It, and it's not something to just kind of shrug off. Um, but outside of that, um, you know, I do think he exhibits some quality, um, quality ball handling and an ability to create space for himself without the benefit of a quick first step. Um, and so the fact that he can already do that and he kind of knows, you know, he's had to learn how to create that space on his own um, is going to be big for, you know, the scoring that he does do. Yeah. And, and like I said, his space creation is just incredible. I mean, his, he can stop on a dime too, which is just as important as having a first step. Yeah, and utilizes escape dribbles very well. So outside of the right hand problem, you know, I think his ball handling is is fine otherwise. Uh, would you kind of agree with that assessment? Yeah, I think he can still speed up his handle a little bit, but it's not like, I mean, that's nitpicking at that point, I think. Yeah, I would agree with that. So, you know, let's kind of get over to the his scoring ability um, and – you know, it's not going to be the reason you draft him. But having said that, there's definitely some upside as a scorer. So, um, you know, we saw improvements in the shot. Again, he shot 39% from three on four attempts per game, uh, which is, you know, decent sample size. And then he's historically been a very good free throw shooter. Uh, again, 82% in 2019, 91% this past year. So, um you know, obviously a pretty good foundation as a shooter. Would you agree? Yeah. And one thing that really stands out to me is how well he shoots off the dribble for an 18 year old. Um, I think that's a really special skill he has. He still needs to make it a little bit smoother. It's kind of herky jerky uh, and not a, not necessarily a positive way, but he still scores really well. He has good footwork. Um, it just needs to be smoothened out a little bit, but his upside in that area is incredible. Yeah, there were definitely instances where, you know, the the game was out of hand or he was frustrated and 
you know, the especially lower body mechanics kind of abandoned him and he lost the lift and the shot just looked really ugly. But I think, you know, those were few and far between. And, I, you know, his his natural shooting mechanics, I think, more often than not uh, shown through. And, you know, as he matures, hopefully the, um, you know, those lapses in judgment will kind of disappear as well. Um, so one thing I kind of like about him is, you know, again, he's 6'5", um, but he moves well without the ball. And so, you know, I, I kind of think that gives him some versatility as, you know, someone who you could play off the ball sometimes. Yeah, and he spots up well. I think that going into the scoring, like you said, he spots up well and he moves well. I mean, he moves well off ball. Like, he can cut. Um, now, well, I don't know how he'll finish at the rim. That's one of my biggest question marks. Um, but I think that comes with strength is a really important thing. Uh, I don't know if we've talked about it before, but, I mean, length to me matters a lot. Um, finishing at the rim as someone with long arms, uh, I can, I, I'm not a great finisher at the rim in real life, but, and obviously I'm nowhere near the professional level, but I, I, I get it, you know, like I can elevate and extend further with length. Like it's a pretty simple concept, uh, that gets overlooked though. And I think that will help him, especially if he adds strength and to help him finish at the rim. Yeah, he's definitely going to have to add strength and, but, you know, again, he's never going to be the bounciest guy. He's never going to be someone who can go up and, and really finish over the trees. So um, yep. he's had to be crafty throughout his career, um, and it's worked for him so far. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't really foresee too many problems. I mean, he's never going to be a high-level finisher, but the fact that he's already got a floater in his bag and he's already – you know, learning how to use his body and his length around the rim to kind of go around the defenders and still create a good angle for himself uh, to finish off the off the backboard. Um, you know, again, it, it's a good foundation for him. But, it, you know, you, you said it best. The strength is going to be a problem long term and um, being, you know, that kind of next level finisher. Yeah, and we see it a lot in the NBA. I mean, you can still be a really good player without being a good finisher. Uh, it just kind of holds you back, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I think he's he's more likely to do damage kind of in the mid-range to three-point area, um, you know, personally, as opposed to kind of five feet and in. Um, because I, I do believe in the shot, and I do think he's going to develop into a solid catch-and-shoot option. Um, and you know, again, you talked about the ability to shoot off the dribble as well. So, um, you know, other than the, the finishing for you, is there anything else that's kind of holding him back as a scorer? I don't think so. It would just be, you know, just refining some of that, the mechanics, especially at the bottom. Um, but that would pretty much be it. I mean, the finishing is really the only glaring, you know, and that's not even that glaring. Like, I mean, I'd say it's, you know, medium level crisis <laughs> yeah I think the only other thing I would add and it's not so much scoring it's more the the playmaking aspect and it was the same thing with Luca when he came out is you know he's almost too confident in his passing ability uh, and likes to be a little flashy with it and he's prone to turning it over you know I, I, again he's 18 it's going to improve as he matures but um, just something to kind of keep in mind that you know, he, he thinks he can fit in just about any pass. And a lot of times he is right. And a lot of times, you know, you're not going to get those passes 
the, the ones that he does get through, you're not going to get them through if you don't have that level of confidence, right? Can't make the yep. pass if you don't even attempt it. So it's kind of a double-edged sword in that regard. Um, so you touched on the defense a little bit. So let's dive in a little more. Um, so what do you like about him as an on-ball defender? So I like how he goes around screens. Uh, I think he can, the way he kind of dodges them uh, is really impressive. That's something that's important. You know, he doesn't just get swallowed every single time by a screen. Um, that's that's pretty much kind of where it stops. So a lot of it, yet again, is limited by his potential strength additions, things like that. Um, so, I mean, for right now, it's just the only thing that really stands out to me is just kind of how he moves around screens, which is obviously the most commonly run play. You're not going to be going one-on-one all that much. It's, you know, off of screens is when you get one-on-ones. So, mm-hmm. so oddly enough, I might actually like him better as an on-ball defender than you do. Uh, something that stood out to me is, you know, I did notice he is, you know, he had average quickness and mm-hmm. that's going to hurt him at the next level. No question. But I saw someone who really understood how to use his length to be aggressive and to bother the ball handler. Um, I remember like the first game I put on and I don't remember who it was against, unfortunately, but you know, first possession, he is right in this guy's face and he's not giving an inch. And a lot of times with longer defenders, you see them back off a little bit because they have the length to recover and challenge the shot. But you know, when you're able to put your arms all the way out and, you know, it's six ten or whatever his wingspan is and, and you're right in the grill of the ball handler and making them uncomfortable, you know, I, I think you have a lot of upside. You, you have a lot more um, room for error because of that level of effort and aggressiveness. Yeah, you can afford to bite. But and that is uh, that is another area I underestimated and uh, overlooked just now was his IQ is pretty good. Like, but that's an IQ thing. If you know how to use your right. body, right? And and again, like the the physical tools from a quickness perspective are going to hurt him a little bit. But I just think with between the fluidity and the length and, and the effort, I think he he projects to be you know an average on ball defender. I don't think he'll be great. But, you know, I, I think there's upside for him to be at least average. Yeah, and, and that's kind of what you want, right? Like, if you're a team drafting him, you're not hoping, you know, he's not going to be locking up someone very often. He's not going to be locking up the team's best guard. Nothing like that. But, I mean, if he's not, you know, exploitable, like, you know, we've seen Kyrie Irving and Curry, both of them, back when they were facing each other so often in the finals, we saw them just get exploited by the other team. As long as you don't get to, like, that level of, you know, defense – I think they're happy, whoever gets them. Right. And I, that the other thing with him that you don't have to worry about is him carrying the scoring load and then slacking on the defensive end. You know, that's where a lot of that, you know, like Steph and Kyrie aren't particularly bad defenders, but, you know, the amount that, you know, Steph, especially with all the running he does off the ball, um, you know, they carry such a heavy load offensively that, you know, they're going to slack on defense sometimes, but not that they were ever good defenders, but they weren't bad. Just the lack of effort put them there. So, you know, if Hayes keeps that level of effort high, you know, it's a much higher floor. Yeah. Then I'm not, obviously I realized what I said sounded terrible coming out of my mouth. I'm not comparing. (laughs) 
to that no, no, role. No. no, no, to that role, like getting to that level, getting to the finals necessarily. Like, I realized what implications I put in under that. So, but you know what I mean? Like it happens in Raiders yeah, yeah. games too. It can happen in a Pistons and Pelicans game, you know? Right, right. No disrespect, but. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the other things about Hayes, and I think we tend to see this more with uh, with international prospects because they're at a professional level, they learn how to play team defense um, much earlier than a lot of these college guys. And I think we see that with Hayes, who, you know, knows where he needs to be defensively. And you already talked about the basketball IQ on both ends of the floor. So, you know, if he even is a slightly below average on-ball defender, but he plays good team defense, which I think he will, you know, you have a, a guy who's at least, you know, not hurting you on the defensive end, all things considered. Yeah. And, and like I said, I mean, you have, I'd rather have someone who lacks some of the physical tools like strength um, and possibly size and foot speed um, that knows where, what they're doing and how to use their body to their advantage. I mean, we've seen, and God, this is going to get twisted, but I'm going to say it anyways. We've seen Dirk, you know, he has one of the best, he had one of the best defensive moves for someone who was, bad defensively especially like at the end of his career that swipe through he knew how to he knew he had long arms he knew how to stop it he had a high iq he could tell when people were going up things like that are super valuable like you can still do things without all positive traits you know yeah you heard it here first killian hayes is the next dirk Nowitzki. yeah i can't argue with that. <laughs> um but i want to come back to the you know what you were just saying about the team defense and length and stuff you know, Killian Hayes had an average of steal and a half in a pro league yeah. by accident. It was yeah. length, knowing where to be, and the IQ to jump those passing lanes and um, and know where he, where he needs to help. So, um, you know, defensively, I, he's never going to be elite, but definitely someone who I I would comfortably project to be an average all around defender. Yeah, no, I agree. I completely agree. Okay, so. Before yeah. we go to the next one, just a little off topic. Uh, who do you think has a better chance to be a good defender? Lamella Ball or Killian Hayes? I think Ball has the better physical tools. And so I, I would say if he really wanted to, it would be Lamello. But again, I, I want to come back to the idea of Lamello's more likely to be a guy who's carrying your offense night in and night out. And if he's doing that, you know, frankly, I don't want him giving 100% effort on defense all the time because I need him offensively, you know, just be in the right spots and let the other four guys, you know, take on the the tougher assignments um, and just kind of have LaMelo be a functional team defender. Um, so if if he's ever in a situation where he can be locked in or he needs to be, give me LaMelo. That's fair. That's fair. Who do you think? Yeah, that's fair. That's actually, that kind of answers this next question I had. So, yeah, that's okay. good. I, I think, I actually think it'll be Hayes, but uh, okay. actually, the exact same reasons, as weird as it is. It's like a flip of the coin for me. Okay. It's, who wants it more? Well, that's, that's literally it. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and then just as a rebounder, um, you know, he's fine, you know, has that kind of get it and go mentality and he's long and, and tall. So, 
you know, he'll definitely be someone who could just take the ball off the rim and go coast to coast. But, you know, he's not an elite rebounder from what I saw for a guard. Yeah, no, no, it doesn't like his game doesn't jump out in that aspect. So, all right. So let's talk about where we each have him ranked again and kind of do a little back and forth. So you have him at four, right? I have him at eight. So why why do you think he's solidly a top five prospect? Uh, I think he gets up somewhere towards like 20 or eight at his ceiling. I think his ceiling's really high with that. Uh, I buy his scoring. I buy his passing. A lot of it, it comes down to the biggest if, obviously, like you said, though, is that right hand. Uh, the left hand dominance does scare me. I have, you know, a lot of other players that have been penalized on my board for being right hand dominant. Um, so I, I completely see that as a major obstacle. I just think he's good enough to overcome it. I, I just have a lot of um, optimism, I guess, in just him reaching his ceiling. Okay. I think ultimately I'm a little more hesitant because of that right not having been developed through three years of professional play, at least. Um, you know, not to say he can't fix it, but I'm just less optimistic about it. And if he doesn't, um, I don't buy that he's ever going to be a high-level scorer. Um, and frankly, I don't know how conducive his game is to scoring. Regardless, I don't really see him as a guy who's going to put up more than 15 points a game. Uh, you know, I think he's someone who probably settles in around his career or his, you know, past season average of, you know, he put up 13 and six. You know, if he were to do that for 10 years at the NBA level, that's still a, a quality oh, yeah. player. Oh, yeah. You know, people think, oh, 13 and six. But, you know, that's a starting level point guard. Um, and, you know, nothing wrong with taking that kind of player in the top 10. But if I'm taking a player in the top four or five picks, I'm just shooting for a little higher upside personally. Um, so the the other thing that I wanted to mention about Hayes before I forget, um, and I don't know if you saw it, but did you kind of see somebody who wore his emotions on his sleeve a bit too often? You know, it's actually not something I ever paid attention to. Like, I never noticed it. It never stuck out as, I guess, it never really stuck out one way or another. Okay, I, I tended to notice it the most in the shot. Where, and I kind of touched on it a little bit about how, you know, it looked like some things would just kind of abandon him, like the, the lift and the follow through, just simple mechanical things. And it was typically when he was frustrated um, so I don't know, maybe I'm just seeing things and again, not something I'm concerned about. Like he's a competitor, he's 18, he's going to figure that part out. But regardless, um, so who, who would you compare Killian Hayes to? So he's a hard one for me. A lot of people say D'Angelo Russell. I don't agree. I think Killian Hayes runs an offense a lot better. I wouldn't really trust Gigo to run it. I would actually say, you know, he has a lot of the similar traits. So this is, I guess, more shades of than actual comparison. But Devontae Graham is someone I really like as a comparison. He's also a poor finisher at the rim. Uh, bad defender. But I think Hayes might be, a, like, hair above him on that. Uh, but offensively, I mean, the scoring, I, I love the scoring playmaking combo. Uh, just kind of shades of it. Not a full one-to-one, but a lot of similar uh, traits for me. Okay. I like that. Um I, I kind of went into this not really having a comparison for him. 
Um, I had seen the D'Lo one, but I I think that just comes from being a 6'5 lefty combo guard. Or, yep. Although I think Hayes is more of a true lead point guard. You know, I think there's some Sean Livingston to his game, just, again, because of the length. And, you know, I think Livingston was a better playmaker than he got credit for. Um, but it's it's not a comp I feel really comfortable making. So I'm going to hold off for now. And if I, <laughs> I think of something, I'll, I'll let you know in a, a future episode. But so, again, this is a guy that we're, we're talking about as an easy lottery pick. Um, you know, we've talked about fits for other point guards, you know, the Knicks, um, although they might be afraid of another French point guard at this point. Um, so, and, and I saw his, his agent actually came out and said that, you know, he was talking to, I wish I had the tweet in front of me, but it was like the Knicks and the Celtics. So maybe they're a team that might want to go that. up for him. I saw that. And funny enough, uh, the Orlando Magic randomly. Uh-oh. I here. Uh, seeing maybe they make a draft night move. But, I mean, who knows? It could, I mean, could just be due diligence. <laughs> That's what yeah. I'm, I'm out of uh, pessimism here. <laughs> but but so, so what team do you think would be a, a great fit for Hayes? Man, I'm in love with the Detroit fit. I love him as their point guard of the future. Him or Lamelo is just such a perfect fit for just leading whoever comes in next year. Cause obviously whoever's there now isn't really a long-term piece outside of, you know, some role players like Bruce Brown's a nice role player, but how much are you, you know, he's a perfect building block for a team that has, you know, both those guys, I think are just perfect building blocks. Yeah, I would agree actually. And that I believe is who you mocked Hayes to in your mock draft was Detroit. Was it not? Yep. That is correct. All right, so I'm there you go. The I'm in love with the fit. Perfect. So uh, I think that about wraps up Hayes. So let's move on, and we're going to, for the first time, talk about a player who you won't typically find in lottery talk, um, someone who you may even hear about in the second round, although I think we both like him a little bit more than that. Uh, and his name is Paul Reed. So Paul Reed uh, went to, or yeah, went to DePaul. Uh, was a junior, six nine, two twenty, with a seven two wingspan. Uh, Twenty one years old, so still young, even though he is a junior. Uh, this past season, in twenty nine games, averaged thirty two minutes per game. Shot twelve shots from the field. Uh, had a fifty one point six percent field goal percentage. Shot just under two threes a game and made 31% of those. Shot 74% from the line on about three attempts per game. And averaged 15 points, just under 11 rebounds, a steal or an assist and a half, two steals and two and a half blocks per game. Uh, so kind of the, the all-around leader for DePaul. So, uh, Richard, what's kind of the background on Paul Reed? So, uh, man, I, it's so crazy to me that a dude named Paul Reed, who went to DePaul, never got more. Like, that was such an obvious star <laughs> in the making. I thought I was laughing. I'm like, I didn't nobody even think of that. Like, but, um, yeah, so obviously he did not go to DePaul because his name is Paul. Um, he'd only been offered uh, – there was some small schools. He's from Orlando. There was some small school in the southeast that offered him. It was still D1, but not a high major. Uh, the only teams that really recruited him, he was a three-star recruit, were – 
the lowest teams in the high majors. So like you had Clemson, Kansas State, uh, and there was, I think, Utah maybe or something like that. So not exactly powerhouses. Uh, so he went with uh, the namesake DePaul, and uh, he really improved overall just all three years there. And he grew. As a, as a junior, he was 6'6 six, six in high school. Senior, he was 6'8", and now I think you said 6'9", right? That's yeah, what I got him at. I mean, he just kept on growing. So this guy's a late bloomer. Uh, really came along last year and then just took a massive stride this year. Uh, you know, he jumped from four points a game as a freshman to 12 to 15, and just everything went up. I mean, he does everything on the court, really, except one thing, which is shooting. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, he's he's got a ton of upside with a decently safe floor, I would say. Yeah, so before we get into the eval, um, I'm interested, what position or role do you think he best fits into? So I would say power forward, what, like however you describe your modern power forward probably fits him because he does so much that you can have multiple alternatives for that. Um, you know, he can be a ball handling power forward. He can be a scoring power forward. He can be a defensive power forward, kind of hybrid of all of that. I don't know if the one thing he would be missing is your stretch forward. Yeah, I, I have him as a forward as well. Um, to a degree... I almost think he could develop into a combo forward, but I think either way, like either as a three, four, I don't think he has the perimeter skills to, to last on the three point line or as a three. And I don't quite think he has the size and strength to be a full time five. So really I, I think, a four for sure with maybe some room for growth on either side, you know, just depending on some different things, but you know, where do you, you know, you have like a full fledged big board at this point. So where do you have Paul Reed ranks? Yeah. So I I made some adjustments pretty recently. Uh, I guess with the synergy thing, I finally got to watch him like beyond YouTube. Uh, I moved him to 29 today. Uh, It's kind of a tough ranking. That area gets really tight. But 29 is where I have him. What about you? So, you know, he's the bottom most player that I've watched, you, but I've mostly the worst watched the lottery guys. He is the worst player on your board? Is that what I'm I mean, I've watched 14 guys. <laughs> no, you can't, can't say it any other way. You just called him the worst player in the draft. Wow, man. Wow. Top 14. <laughs> at the, no, he's, he won't finish 14. Um, I gave him a late first-round grade. So, you know, just kind of as – you know, an idea I gave like Patrick Williams and Tyrese Maxey, I gave those guys mid first round grades. So guys that I think could go anywhere from late lottery to late teen, uh, maybe early twenties. Paul Reed is a guy I think will probably, I I would probably have him in the 25 to 35 range, um, but probably closer to 25. If I had to guess I I would feel comfortable taking him at the end of the first round, but we'll, we'll kind of get to why in a little bit. So uh, athletically, um, talk to me about Paul Reed uh, from an athletic standpoint. Real nice athletically. I like him. He's smooth. Uh, you know, he doesn't, he moves well on defense. That's why he averages two blocks, two steals. Um, I mean, there's a very good reason for that. I like his athleticism. It doesn't always stand out, but never disappoints. Yeah, I, I think he's... No. I'm sorry, go ahead. Sorry, I was just saying in terms of like raw athleticism, what he does is a different story. Yeah, uh, I mean, super, super fluid for a guy 6'9", 220, um, and who primarily played 
the post uh, out of DePaul. I think he was a little underutilized uh, because more so out of necessity, but, uh, you know, also a great vertical leaper um, and, you know, should be a good lob threat, although we'll kind of talk about why he hasn't been in a little bit. Um, But you mentioned the jump shot uh, earlier, and so let's just jump right into that. That's one of the ugliest shots in the class, in my opinion. Hey, first of all, nice pun, uh, welcoming the jump shot. Oh, thank uh, you. <laughs> that's, now we both made uh, a nice little pun here, I think. Uh, <laughs> but no, the jump shot needs a ton of work. Uh, I don't know if anybody listening to this remembers Moses Brown's jump shot, which he shot, like, I mean, Jared, you can see me on camera. Like, his hand was off him was here. The ball was, like, way up. It, they did not match. And, and if you talk to me about jump shots, like, you know, that is one of my biggest pet peeves is seeing the offhand just so far away. That's To me, that's the biggest issue. It, it is just a horribly broken shot. Like, his left hand is behind his ears, you know, and that's just, that's not okay. Yeah, I, I noticed, like, his um, his shooting arm is bent to the degree of, like, it's at an acute angle. You know, it's not that kind of nice, you know, 90-degree angle. I'm pointing things out on camera for Richard so he kind of understands what I'm saying. I'm hoping that makes sense. If, if you if you watch, you'll see what I'm talking about. It's not Normally, quite MKG, right? No, but it's cl- it's not far off, though. Yeah. Like, he, he bends his arm that much. Yep. And then he's got a hitch in the shot. Uh, his feet are all over the place. I, I think from top down, he needs to totally rework the jumper. The positive, I'll say, is – you know, last year, 77% from the line. This year, 74% from the line. Um, last year, 40% from three. This year, 31% from three. Not a ton of volume, but the, the touch is there. Um, so I think there's some natural touch, and he just needs to totally rework that jumper over the course of the next year or two. Um, you know, and then he can start incorporating that into his game and you know, if he's able to do that, I wouldn't be surprised if he develops into a pick and pop or, you know, even catch and shoot threat um, really from from anywhere on the floor. Yeah. And, and it reminds me, there was a guy, I think it was like the 2018 draft, uh, one of the SEC, all SEC guys, uh, Yante Maiden uh, from Georgia. He had very similar form. It was just not pretty. And he shot like 85 percent from the line, which it never made sense to me. He had the touch. But now, like in the G League, for example, he first year shot 33% from three. And then this last year shot 24% from three. So, like, the form really does matter. And it's similar form. They had similar uh, free throw percentage numbers and three-point percentage numbers. So, a lot of that, that shows me that the jump shot is so far away. Um, But, I mean, like you said, the touch is there. My area that I will say I don't ever buy him um, developing in as a shooter is really off movement. I, I just, I don't buy it. I tweeted out uh, today. I don't know. It might be yesterday or two days ago uh, for whenever this is released. So go ahead and look for Paul Reed under Mavs draft and you'll see uh, against Iowa. He does it. He makes a lot of the shots, but I mean, it's just not smooth, you know? Yeah, it, it looks awkward. And quite frankly, a lot of things he does on the court look a little awkward. I'm not quite sure what it <laughs> is, but that shot, especially, Now, the one thing I'll say is, you know, sometimes you spend all this time reworking a shot and the player just doesn't take to it. Um, And, 
you know, they have to do what's natural for them. And, you know, even if he does that, um, I, I think he's proved that he's enough of a threat from three, you know, even a guy like Sean Marion uh, was a threat from three when, yeah. you know, when he was playing in Phoenix um, and so had to be respected. And so I think he at least has that going for him. Um, you know, even if the shot is low and, and slow, but um, you know, just, just something that I think is somewhat of a positive as a shooter Um you know, even though I wouldn't necessarily buy it completely translating to the NBA. Yeah. And, and dude, I, I completely agree with that. I mean, that's actually perfectly stated. So let's talk about some other ways he scores. Cause I believe he was DePaul's leading score at about 16 a game. So um, what other ways did you find him scoring and, and what did you like? Yeah, so I really like his finishing uh, at the rim. Kind of like you said, he's a really good low post finisher. Uh, he played a lot of that, probably too much, but he still finished at a high level. I think he shot almost 70% at the rim. Uh, but the area I really like is his floater. I mean, a 6'9 guy <laughs> shooting floaters off the drive is, is pretty incredible. And he catches and floats. It's, it's a really weird thing, but he he's unique. He's very unique in that aspect. I mean, inside the two-point line, I don't really have any – or excuse me, three-point line – uh, he doesn't have any major glaring scoring flaws. <laughs> and yeah. apparently, boring metric here. So. Yeah, the two-point line. Uh, but no, I, I agree. The There is kind of a weird floater game uh, going on there. Um, you know, decent post work when he seals down low. Um, you know, the footwork can be a little shaky but you know if he just kind of seals turns and finishes super soft touch with both hands but um you know like a lot of college players he does prefer his right when he's trying to finish through traffic um not a huge deal because you know with the length he has again seven two wingspan and his ability to, to elevate he usually is able you know even if it's the wrong hand to get the ball over the outstretched arm of uh, of the defender of a weak side blocker. So, you know, finishing is definitely going to be an area of strength for him. Um, I want to talk about him in the pick and roll though. Um, one thing that I really didn't like, um, was he set soft screens and then he wouldn't mm-hmm. roll hard to the basket, which is really frustrating when you look at someone who has that huge of a target, Right. Like he, he can jump super high. He's got super long arms. All the guard has to do is throw it in the same zip code as the basket and he's going to finish. Um, but he didn't get those opportunities because he didn't roll. Um, so what did you kind of see? Yeah, it, I, I noticed this stuff, too, where he would be set up perfectly for a basket and you would just kind of go, yeah, I'm good. Thanks, though. And he kind of ball watches on offense. It's a really weird thing. I don't know how many people you can say that about in this draft that they ball watch on offense, you know, they kind of just sit there, they're passive to an extent, or he just didn't want to go. And originally when I had first watched him, I thought he had a really high motor. I must've caught him on a good game, but I don't know. The motor kind of comes and goes with that. I think that has to do with motor, right? Like, would you agree? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I, I think it also goes a bit to his basketball IQ. Um, you know, I, I think the other thing I noticed was, he would 
just settle too often. Like yeah. he'd have an opportunity to to drive the ball to the basket, which he does pretty well uh, because he has a decent handle. Uh, not great, but good enough to drive in a straight line. Um, and he'd settle for a tough pull up or, um, you know, a long three uh, instead of, you know, passing, you know, reposting and, and going to work from there. Um, so, you know, I, I'm just not sure, you know, between the motor and the IQ, um, you know, how much of a concern those things should be. But, you know, clearly there's at least some level. Yeah, and I wonder how much of it, because the field goal percentage dropped at like 5%. I wonder how much of it had to do with just him being such an integral part of the offense, uh, where it kind of just like it wore him out, you know, both mentally and physically. And obviously at the NBA early on, the first couple, three years, he's not going to be asked to do a ton on the offensive end. He's probably going to be in a specialized role. Um, So, I mean, I'm curious as to how that, translates in the nba if it if it's a negative i mean you might not see that guy in the nba for a second contract yeah i mean he's gonna have to find a way to adapt to whatever role he's asked to play um and and play with the appropriate motor of a role player um well let's kind of get back to the um you know to the skill evaluation so you know, I think all around we like him as a scorer, you know, definitely work to do with the jump shot. Um, but I actually thought he's a bit of an underrated facilitator. You know, I thought especially there were some times where uh, he, he showed excellent touch on high-low passes, um, you know, where he caught the ball at the top of the key and, and hit his counterpart, um, big man, uh, who, who did well to seal. So, um Granted, those are set plays and, you know, I don't know how well he sees those passes and anticipates them. But just the fact that you can say, Paul, here's the pass I need you to make and he can do it. I think it matters, especially from a four. Yeah, no, passing of the four has become such an important thing. Uh, You know, you look at some of the top power forwards in the league and all of them can pass at a high level and do simple things that guards normally have traditionally done. And Paul Reed does that. Like you said, I mean, the high-low is a really – that's a spot-on one. Um, you know, I'm not sure how willing he is to get everyone else involved. Again, we kind of talked about the the IQ part of it. And then I just think there were some things of, you know, knowing he's the best player on the floor and maybe trying to do too much sometimes. And, you know, hopefully when, he, when he's surrounded by NBA talent that – that mindset kind of disappears, but just something worth mentioning Um, as a ball handler. Again, I think he's okay, but a little awkward with the left. So what did you kind of see from him uh, as a ball handler? Yeah. So, I mean, the left hand is clearly weaker. Um, Actually one of the games I was watching today, he really showed off his left hand and it was against Iowa. So it wasn't like a, a weak team or anything, but he showed potential with it. I think it's something that you give him two years, I think you're going to see a big improvement from what he was in college. Like he's going to be capable putting on the floor with both hands. Now finishing both hands. eh, I'm a little bit torn there. I see it on both, both ways. Um, But overall as like a creator with both hands. He definitely prefers his right. Like it's not a secret, but I see outside and the left. Yeah. And again, doesn't have the ball on a string by, by any measure, but 
not a bad ball handler, especially for, for a four. Um, and again, I think good enough to, to drive the basketball um, and, and create some opportunities that way. Um, so let's talk about him as a defender. Um, first of all, I think upside is through the roof and legitimate chance he could guard three through five at a high level because super long and super fluid. Um, but what do you think? Yeah, no, I mean, the word for him is versatility. And Lee gets trying to, you know, play as many roles with as few people as possible. Um, yeah, his value is super high. You know, you get someone who, like you said, his defensive traits and athleticism and everything, it all goes together. He's going to be able to guard three through five. Now, offensively, he's kind of limited to four or five. Uh, but I think you see, like you said, he's oozing with upside. Um, if a team can potentially unlock his shooting the way the Raptors did with Siakam, you know, Siakam shot, what, under 20% or something like that from three for the first two years. Uh, someone correct me if I'm just horribly off. But I think you can see, even if you just make him have to be guarded from three, I think that's a big win. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, now, off the ball, I think it was a different story, right? So I, I legitimately saw on the ball someone who could sit down when he wants to and and lock up guys on the perimeter, and, and we know he, he can block shots. He, he blocked two and a half shots a game, um, and, and the, the combination of you know four and a half steals and blocks is nothing to sneeze at, but I thought he was – you talked about the ball watching on offense. I saw it quite a bit on defense, and I guess on both sides of the floor, ball watching and, and just floating. Yeah, floating is the perfect word. He was doing nothing a lot of times. Like, he would go, if they were playing in a zone, fine with him. He never had to leave where he was. Like, he would pick the weakest zone, I guess, and he was there. That was it. <laughs> Play. <laughs> but, yeah, it's just something that, you know, he, he has to learn how to rotate. You know, he was late on rotations. He would kind of camp out near the basket hunting blocks. So, um, you know, just to kind of take full advantage of that versatility, uh, he's he's that's a learning curve for him. Yeah. And it kind of opposite of what we talked about with Killian Hayes, you know, he knows how to, he doesn't really know. I feel like how to use his body into his advantage on, on both ends to an extent. Yeah. It almost looks like he's still learning the game to a degree, which isn't bad. You know, you, you think, Oh my God, he's a junior, but you know, he's 21. He's on the younger side for a junior. He's younger than Obi Toppin. Um, and, you know, we kind of talked about how that could be a, a deal breaker between, you know, choosing between a younger player and an older player. And that's still the case here. But, you know, now we're talking about someone who you could potentially take late in the first round, early in the second round, not someone who is being looked at as a top 10 pick. Yeah. And I think that is his range. Uh, I think the 25-35 is pretty spot on. Like you said, and I think it's closer to 25 because of the age. The, for, uh, you know, even if he was 21 and 364 days old at draft time when, in October, he's still 21. So that still jumps out um, a lot more. And like you said, I mean, that's the same age. He's younger, I think you said, than Obi. Yeah, he's younger than Obi. Crazy. That is crazy to think. But, um, no, I mean, yeah, teams, teams are going to want to take a chance, especially since his range is good teams. 
uh, that have a history of developing players. I mean, like, sorry to jump right into it, but is it crazy to think Toronto might be his best fit? Like, as low-hanging as that is. Like, is that... Yeah. I, I think realistically there's several – his best fit is a team that's just in need of role players at this point, someone yeah. who can kind of play that Siakam role. Um, you know, not what Siakam is now, but what Siakam was like two years ago, you know, as he was kind of on the cusp of breaking out. Yep. Um, you know, someone – and, you know, not saying he should step in and play 25-plus minutes a night, but – someone who you can groom to kind of start to fill the role of, you know, combo forward to a degree, um, you know, someone who who can score the ball from almost anywhere on the floor, depending on how the jump shot develops, someone who you hope, you know, gets things together on the defensive end. But, um, you know, maybe, so, maybe a team that has the – that has the luxury of letting him develop into that role and not trying to thrust him into it. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I mean, that's luckily for him. That's just about every single team, 20 to 30. Um, obviously if he gets into the second round, it's a little bit of a different story because, you know, some of those picks get flipped. Some of them are the original teams. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I completely agree. I mean, Boston jumps out, for example, they, mm-hmm. they're a good fit as well. So I agree with what you said. I think the other thing I want to talk about before we get into a comparison and kind of why we have him ranked where we do is I think he's an excellent rebounder on both sides of the floor. I think that's where the energy kind of stands out a little bit is, um, you know, he does well to to attack the ball at its highest point uh, and he can kind of get to get to the basketball at even in the NBA, just not a lot of players can get that high because yep. of the vertical leaping and the length. Yeah, his and he reads the ball off the rim pretty well. Like He knows where it's yeah. going to be. Uh, yeah, like you said, length and athleticism. I mean, he can straight up jump higher than everybody else half the time in college. Right. Um, okay, so do you have a comparison for Paul Reed? Man, it is so hard. He gives me shades of Siakam in the early stages, but man, that is so low hanging that I, I hate using it. Um, I, I, I'm having a hard time with him. He's such a unique player. Like, who do you, th- who do you see as one? So I, I kind of saw a Darrell Arthur comparison that I don't hate. Um, and you know, he's someone who I think if he was coming into the league now, you know, now he's, he's in his thirties at this point, but if he was kind of coming into the league at this point, you know, I think he'd be much better served for where the game is going. Um, so maybe someone like that, someone who's, you know, a four but can play a little five, maybe can come down and play a little three, depending on what you want him to do if you wanted to go big. Um, but, you know, I, I don't hate that comparison. Uh, but it's not an original one. I, I forget where I've read it, but uh, it, hey, you know, it's anyone not mine. Hey, anyone who uses Darrell Arthur in a comparison, uh, DFW zone, actually. Uh, is he? That is, yeah, he's from uh, what what school did he go to? He went somewhere. I, I want to say like in Dallas. I don't remember which one. It wasn't one of the powerhouses. I don't think. I'll look real quick. But you you keep talking. That's dude. It, this is the hardest comparison I think of anybody we have. Um, I think you could probably throw together like seven different players, and that's the my one comparison. Like this is the one guy who we get shades of. You know, 
like hardcore, it's purely shades of. Yeah. Yeah. And it's tougher when you get down to kind of the, the role player area. It was South Oak Cliff, by the way, uh, which okay. I think is where uh, Rodman went to, isn't it? Really? Okay. I didn't, yeah. I did not know this. Wow. I'm learning a lot here today. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, so, you know, we've, I think that kind of covers it for, for Paul Reed, you know, any last words on, on him? No, uh, I think we captured it pretty clearly. Uh, I guess I would say one thing as I lied when I just said no 10 seconds ago. Um, I, the one thing I have heard is that his range is, you know, 25, 35 is like spot on. Like he could obviously go give or take, you know, 20, 30, 40. Uh, but I think the 25, 35 is a really spot on one. And I think he's a big target for the maps. Like, do not sleep on the maps potentially taking him at 31. So that's what actually I was about to ask you then, you know, obviously this is maps draft and we're finally talking about a prospect who would likely be there with their first round pick and could conceivably be there at 31. Um, is he someone you'd be happy with them taking at, at either spot? It depends. Uh, he's probably good value and he's worth a gamble. It depends on what happens at 18. If they even keep it. Um, that's a, that's an incredibly difficult one. Okay. Also, I, I think I would like him at 31, even if they were to go with like a Sadiq Bay or someone in the first. I just think you can never have enough of those kinds of players. Yep. Um, and again, I, you know, there's there's a lot he needs to improve on. And he is raw, you know, even for a junior. But I think there's a lot of upside if you can kind of work on the shot a little bit and if you can develop his perimeter skills and figure something out with him where he's really locked in defensively, you know, I think the the upside is there, especially in the second round at that point. Yep. Yeah. No, the second round, I mean, at the second round, like is it, it's fully worth the risk, I think. Yeah. So uh, that kind of wraps the book on Paul Reed. Um, we don't have any um, mailbag questions to get to today. Um, but one thing that I did just want to touch on um you know, not a ton going on in the basketball world at this point as we're kind of, you know, getting back into the swing of things uh, with, um, you know, we're recording this on July 1st. So I guess we're, we're officially getting some basketball this month, you know, fingers crossed. But, um, you know, I think the big news this past week would be Amani Bates. Um, so maybe we could talk about him for just a second. Um, but, you know, if you don't know who Amani Bates is, uh He's 16 years old, and he's probably the best high school player in America. <laughs> yeah, no, and and I don't know too much about his game in particular. Like, I can't break it down, I don't think, uh, you know, at a high level. But he's – I think he was – what is it, the Gatorade player of the year, which has never been won by an underclassman before him. Yeah. I mean, like well, he's he averaged pro- like 35 points and 17 rebounds a game or something like that. And I don't think it was like a weak competition issue thing either. It was, it's like, he was just so damn good that it didn't matter who was out there. Like there's nobody who can match his skill. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't great competition. I was listening to the game theory podcast today and they were, they were talking a bit, um, by the way, the reason he's in the news is because he committed to Michigan state. Although he said like for now, because I think everyone's expecting him to be eligible for that, uh, double draft that we've kind of referenced before, um, and he would probably declare, but you never know. Um, but anyway, on the Game Theory podcast, they were talking about how, um, 
like Michigan high school basketball has some rules against like traveling with your school or something like that. So he wasn't able to go and play mm-hmm. like some of the really big name schools like, you know, Finley Pratt, Moffer, you know, uh, is a Sierra Canyon. Is that the one? Yeah. 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 I don't know. So, you know, even like Duncanville here, like, um, you know, they're, they're a really good school. So, you know, he didn't get to go see, that level of competition, but he's been competing on the national circuit already. And, you know, we've seen him against good competition. You know, a lot of people are saying he's the best prospect since fill in the blank. You know, I've heard AD, I've heard KD, I've heard LeBron. I think people are getting carried away here for a bit and, re- and really forgetting some of the top guys that have come out. Like Marvin Bagley had a ton of hype in 2017. Yeah. I, I remember... People were, I mean, I was one of them. I was one of the crazies for him. And, uh, dude, like, he was, like, the consensus number one for a while. Uh, like, he was one of them. I would say, like, he's the most comparable I'd seen in the last five years. Before Zion. Before Zion. I you know say. who's the best prospect that everyone forgot about because he got hurt? But people thought, like, he was getting this level of attention as a sophomore was Harry Giles. Oh, yes. Harry he Giles. He got so much hype i remember yeah and he'll be good i know there's a lot of mavs fans that want him is he still like 22 or like he's super yeah. young still yeah no he's super young and the kings declined his option so he's unrestricted oh wow yeah yeah I don't know what I, i'd be interested like, to but. see what happens because i'm assuming he's healthy at this point i haven't really followed him since he left duke but um just getting him into a into an organization that's a little more functional no comment. <laughs> but yes. <laughs> so yes, comment. No, I mean, it's it's not all necessarily that. I mean, it's like they kind of misused him. He's a good passer. Um, and uh, it, he's still not fully like who he is, you know? It's hard. I just, I would not give up on someone like that with health issues. Like it is, it's either if maybe you just don't think you can ever fix his health, maybe that's why. And I get it. Like we don't have access to that. So it's hard to comment one way or another, but like, He's so young. Like, how many yeah. people are done with injuries at professional level by 21 or 22? Like, just yeah. Cool. yeah. Yeah, he'll be interesting to, to see where he ends up. Um, it'll be interesting to see what ends up happening with this, um, you know, potential double dip class. Would that be this coming draft or the one after? I think it's 22. Okay, so... But luckily, the Mavs have a pick-in. 22? Yep. They oh, have, yeah, they traded 21 yep. and 23. Yeah, so that's that's good. That next real, year's draft looks really good, though. Yeah, next year's draft is going to be crazy. I mean, you got, like, I mean, everybody's reclassifying into it. Uh, right, Kuminga, right? Didn't he yeah, just Kuminga, reclassify? Man, I'm, I'm all in on him. The people like I trust Cade. with high school... Yeah, Cade is... I mean, Cade's the number one, obviously. I don't he's think so he's good. Number. He's just insane, and like he's not even fully developed, not even close to fully developed on the jump shot too, and he's still good in that area. Yeah, I I know he's from Arlington. I wish uh, I would have got to see him. I know he he ended up going to school at, at Montford, so he you know he yeah. wasn't here anyway. But um, he didn't he end up saying that he's gonna stay at Oklahoma State even with the postseason yep. ban. Yeah, yeah, it's it's crazy that it. <laughs> I feel like every number one pick now is just not going to make the 
the postseason. Like Zion made it, Aiden made it. They lost in the first round. Um, Marco and Simmons didn't Benson right didn't make it. Uh, Cat made it, I guess. Wiggins lost in the first round. Like it's it's crazy how like people view that so much as you know draft stock, but it means absolutely nothing. <laughs> like it does not matter. Like they don't they don't recruit other players for the most part. They can't recruit a player three years before they were there. Right. Well, I don't want to get too deep into the uh, the 2021 draft class, and we still have so much work to do on this year's class. Um, as always, submit us some more questions for the mailbag. Uh, let us know what players you'd like us to, to talk about on future episodes. Uh, we actually ran a poll for this one, and that's why we chose Killian Hayes. That's who... That's who the people voted for. Um, so uh, we'll probably put another poll out um, and, and give you guys another big name to choose from. And then we'll find kind of another uh, late first, early second round guy to pair with him and, and kind of do things that way. So um, as always, you can find Richard at Mavs Draft on Twitter. You can find me at Jared underscore Cats 30. Um, and do you have anything left to say? Well, next time we'll be covering the 2022 draft. No, just, <laughs> and then the 2027 draft in uh, six episodes, you know. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Luka Doncic uh, Jr. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll be getting all the, you know, the pre-born, not even born yet, kids. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, <laughs> uh, thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you guys next time.